Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. Today we are starting a new series all about color. Color is actually one of my favorite topics when it comes to wedding filmmaking or filmmaking in general. It's probably one of the things that I'm most particular about. If you have followed me online, you would know that we haven't really talked about terribly a lot on the podcast. It comes up from time to time, obviously, whenever we're talking about cameras a lot, especially on the the camera specific episodes, it definitely comes up. But it's not something that we've really divin divin <laughs> that we really dived deep into in the podcast. That was a solid word choice, <laughs> but I wanted to, because like I said, it is a subject that I'm personally passionate about. I, it's one of the things that I think I notice immediately whenever I watch anything is color. It's just something I always have paid a lot of attention to, or not necessarily always actually, because when I look at some of my older work, it looks like garbage when it comes to the color, but in the last several years, I have cared deeply about color. And when I'm going over my editor's work, it's probably the most common thing that I comment on is color. And so with me today, I have one of my editors, Nick, who is a, a common a common guest on the podcast these days, right? You're like... I'm just popping in yeah. anytime I can, just <laughs> You're rolling like, in. This is like episode three or four probably for yep, you, I'm, huh? I'm deep. I'm a, I'm a ca- I'm, I'm officially on the cast of characters mm-hmm. of the WFA podcast. Indeed, and rightfully so. So anyways, I wanted to chat with Nick. We're going to do, this is probably going to be a longer series. Uh, it's going to be at least three parts, maybe four parts, but we already have Um, Several other guests lined up for this episode that I'm eager to dive in deep with, including a colorist who I have personally hired on some bigger projects. Uh, He's a local guy here and super talented, so I'm excited to dive dive in deep with him as well. So this is going to be a full series all about color, which I feel like is super important because when I look at wedding filmmakers work, a lot of times people ask me specifically to comment, to give them critiques and feedback. And it's frankly like one of the bigger things I point out to them is that I think that their color needs a lot of work. So let's dive in deep on that here. Um, First, I think let's talk about so much of like getting color right has to do with the way that you shoot. I think a lot of people sort of have the mentality of I'll fix it in post which I think is a really bad strategy. Um, When you don't get colors right in camera, it is so much harder to make it look decent in post, especially with the cameras that most of us are using to shoot wedding films uh, because they don't have a very robust uh, color profile to them. You know, we're primarily shooting... um, with cameras who, who don't have a lot that who, as if there are people that, that don't have a lot of flexibility when it comes to post-processing color. We're not shooting on, you know, $50,000 cinema cameras for weddings. 
most of us, I'm sure. <laughs> if you are, then either hats off to you because you're killing it or uh, you're probably in a whole lot of debt. Yeah. Deep in <laughs> debt. <laughs> Thinking about selling your camera. Yeah. Just so you don't have to spend the extra hours correcting it. One day, I'm sure we're going to get to the point where everything, you know, even our $2,000 mirrorless cameras are shooting in 444, 12-bit. And, you know, then, okay, fix it in post if you want to. Yeah. But still, you're going to be spending more time than you should. Right. Um, So, anyways, let's talk about how we shoot. Maybe, Nick, maybe you could talk a little bit because this is one of the things that I have always been big on training you guys with is how we shoot to get good color maybe talk a little bit about that i feel like early on uh you know kind of when you brought everybody in to do like some some training and stuff it was uh kind of the i mean the first things we went over obviously uh the exposure triangle and getting that white balance correct and using looking looking at things that are white and you know they're white by the eye so when you look into your monitor uh you're trying to get that white and kind of everything else will follow from there. If you can kind of get things that are supposed to be white to be white, uh, then things kind of will will fall into place from there. And that's always been something that I, to this day, kind of double check, you know? Yeah. And to be even more clear, we can tell if something is supposed to be white. However, the light that's in that room may be causing that thing to look more blue, right. more orange, more green, mm. um, particularly when working in places that didn't really pay attention to their lights yeah. um, or even the color on the wall. It can give a white dress, a white dress shirt, a green hue, which yeah. is like the worst. Um, but we're not trying to make it look the way that it does to our eyes in that moment in that room. Right. We're trying to make it look white. Yeah. True white. And in the past, so I was you know, more, more, a little bit more classically trained in photography, definitely not classically trained in video. Um, but I did, you know, in the early parts of my career, my education was much more centered around photography. And so, you know, I was used to using like 18% gray cards, that sort of thing. It's just, honestly, it's just too much like dealing with all that kind of stuff. There's always something white, regardless of where we are. Wedding shoot, obviously dress, shirt, invitations, napkins, tablecloths, whatever it is, there's always white stuff around, Yeah, you know? And so it's just easy to choose white, even on corporate shoots, you know, there's always something white that we can use. And so using that as our barometer means that that tool is always with us Yeah, 100% of the time. And the reason why I use that parameter too is because it's the easiest way. It's not even about making the dress white that's part of it right it's more about if we get the dress to look white assuming it's a white dress um the skin tones are going to follow and it's so much more about getting skin tones that look natural because that's the biggest way to make someone look bad is if their skin tones don't look natural hardest thing to fix too it's absolutely the hardest thing to fix Certainly getting easier with some of the new tools, especially if you're a Final Cut editor, yeah. the new, uh, what's the orange versus sat yep. uh, curve tool that we've got. Totally. We could talk about that more too. But yeah, it's definitely the hardest thing to get, but it's the thing that 
brides are going to notice more than anything else. You know, you could be shooting with 720p versus four, your competitors at 4K. If your colors look, if your skin tones look bad, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. It really doesn't. And, uh, you know, long-time listeners know I'm a huge proponent of, you know, uh, of 4K. I love what it does. I love the ability it gives us in post. Yeah. I love even just posting naturally in 4K. Um, but honestly, that color is just more important because it's the first thing that anybody will notice um, whether or not they look orange or if they look green. I feel know. like it's also one of those kind of editing, you know, how I, I always heard this saying, um, a good editor goes unnoticed. Mm. You know, it's mm-hmm. something like if you can make your cuts invisible, then you're doing your job correctly. You know, yeah. if if they look at the picture and they don't immediately think, oh, I look orange. Oh, I look pale. Oh, my friends look green. But they just see it and they're just mesmerized and pulled into the moment of that day immediately. Then you've done your job correctly. So many of us sometimes think you know, we want to just crush those blacks and we want a cinematic, we want like the colors saturated and popping and we want to make like a dream sort of coming true. And it's like, maybe that could be a style for sure. And, you know, if you're pushing that style to, to your clients, that's good too. But so much of it is just like getting it correct, making it feel that that is the that is the magic in which people will immediately, um, you know, trans, like subscribe to that day, you know, just being involved in that day in that very moment without needing anything else you don't need to make your greens like some magic blue or anything like that right yeah i mean obviously like you know what we're doing is so much about telling their story telling the story of the wedding telling the story of their relationship maybe there's some sort of interesting thing that's happening in their family life yeah um you know we're telling the story of two families becoming one of these people committing their 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 life to each other and anything that we do that distracts from that sort of pulls away from what we're able to do for them. Right. You know, so absolutely colors, one of those huge deals, you know, nobody wants to look green. Nobody wants to look like, um, you know, our president and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I always like using him because, uh, you know, it's sort of a, uh, both sides of the aisle can agree that he's uh, he's too orange. What is what is that like when you're a camera person? What do you do? You know, like <laughs> you look at it, you're just looking like it's close enough. I guess yeah. like they're not correcting for his skin right. in camera. You know, they're just his shirt looks white. That tie is red. He is orange, <laughs> and his hair is yellow or blonde or whatever. Uh, it's great. Yeah, it is great. No doubt. It's fun. This is the hardest job in politics yeah right the the uh the presidential <laughs> photographer yeah. <laughs> yeah i can't imagine but even but that's a good point too uh you know when you're and i i honestly wrestle with this on days when uh because i don't always get to meet my brides you know you guys do all that work for us so i don't know what i'm walking into usually when i go to a wedding i don't know them at all i haven't talked to them so when i go into that room I don't know who I'm meeting, yeah. you know, and that's kind of a, that's honestly why I love this job, but also can be a little bit like keep you on your toes. But if you walk into that room and someone is like tan and not like I've been at the beach for a couple weeks tan, yeah. but like I've been 
dark tanning, uh, you know, rubbing some oils, <laughs> rubbing deep oils in my <laughs> face for three weeks, trying to get this ready, and they are just like a natural orange. Do you correct for that? I mean, your eyes are looking at them, and they're like, <laughs> "Do I? Am I going to try to tone this down?" I mean, it can be, it can, you can be wrestling with it for a lot of the day. You Absolutely, know? yeah. Particularly like you know when it comes to reception lighting, yeah, yeah, everything's orange. It's going to intensify it even more so, which Big I time. think is why it's even so much more critical in those moments get white white now if you want to create a warmer look yeah in post and i think this is this is the big thing that people are probably going to hear me you know if, if you heard the first part and you're like yeah but i like warmer i like i like a warmer profile that's fine do a warmer profile in post yeah because if you if you err on that side to warm to too warm you're trying to pull it back. It's so much more difficult. It's, you know, we were talking about this earlier. It's it's way easier to correct for cooler tones to make them, to warm them up than to cool down warmer tones. And I, I don't know what the science is behind that. I don't know why it is, but it just is. Yep. And so if you are one of those people, and there's a lot who do this, who just prefer kind of a warmer look, maybe they're even putting a LUT over the top that creates a warm look to everything. And I'm not going to poo-poo anybody's style on that stuff. Like, if that's what you want to go for, I see some people who do some really incredible work, um, who are charging top dollar, who are really at the pinnacle of wedding filmmaking, and they have that warmer look to it. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that that's bad. However, that is really hard to accomplish consistently from shot to shot from moving from room to room to outside to different lighting and different scenarios if you don't get a true correct white balance in camera yeah it's definitely your source material it's the thing that you're supposed to have the most neutral thing i mean i feel like before you go into starting to add your artistic touch like um you if you're a recording artist, you don't record an artist kind of through a bunch of pedals and, right. you know, all your extra stuff. And you that singer you're trying to like, you don't record at a lower volume because you want to bring up everything up later. You just record them at the truest way that you can. And then you start doing your EQing, you start changing things, you mixing things and stuff like that. And even when, you know, a photographer is like doing a photo, like in the, you know, processing yourself days or whatever. You know, it was all, a, you, you would take the photo at the truest exposure you could. And then in the dark room is where you would, you know, be doing your kind of crazy processing and doing, trying crazy techniques and trying to add your own touch. Yep. You got to get that, you got to get that first thing correct before you start adding everything else. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest differentiators between top notch pros and amateurs or sort of new professionals, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Like people who are more advanced in their career understand that yes, it is absolutely art, but there's so much science to it yeah. as well. And there are certain things that are just incorrect or, or correct. Yeah. You know, and um, it's like you said with, with exposure, I see this a lot with exposure. Someone wants to create more of a dark moody look and so they just underexpose everything. Yeah. That's not underexposing and creating a dark moody look are very different things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one is about, you know, if you're 
one's about just kind of making everything too dark. Right. And the other is crafting light in such a way that the subject is still exposed properly and light falls off dramatically. Those are two very different things that create that separation of light to dark versus just everything's too dark. Yeah. That's wild that you say that. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. A corporate gig that we did recently for one of our Maverick premieres. Um, I noticed that like light, we were shooting kind of in a, uh, a, uh, kind of the end part of the day around six or seven, it was sun, the sun was falling. They were passing through these, uh, like series of kind of like, uh, blinds or something like that. Just Mm -hmm. like diffusing a lot of the light, right? The light was coming in and splashing over this group of people that were all talking and the light would fall off in such an intense way. And I was like, that is what I try to get a lot. And I realized that I haven't been doing that. It was really just like underexposing, just like trying to get that quick fall off, trying to just expose just for the face, you know, by a window, something like that. And you you really do have to, um, it's all about where you put your subject, where the light's coming in, and then you go from there. You can't just, you know, stop down a bunch, you know, that you, that is part of it, but you have to, you have to take into consideration the other techniques of like where you're putting your person right and what's coming into the room right and so yeah in the same way there is a correct way to do it so you know exposing in the same way that we're exposing correctly and then maybe we do some work in post right to to change that look maybe we just you know we're only going to bring down the darks Mm -hmm. to give it more dramatic look but we're going to leave the mids and highlights up where they need to be yeah um rather than just kind of bringing the whole slider down in the same way with color, it needs to be accurate in camera in order to get the actual look that we're going for in post. And, and maybe this is a little bit more flexible if you're shooting in raw. I don't really know because I I don't work in raw ever, you know, it's just not ever been part of our, part of our workflow. We don't own any cameras that shoot in raw. Hardly anybody does, you know, Um, at least anybody who's kind of shooting, uh, you know, wedding and commercial work at the, at the sort of level that we're doing it at um, because it just doesn't make sense even. Yeah. You know, even if we could shoot raw, I wouldn't Yeah. for 99% of our stuff, you know, because the workflow is just that much more intense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so again, maybe there's more flexibility there. I don't know. Somebody else will have to speak on that. And, yeah. Uh, we're going to have somebody hopefully on the podcast who will be able to speak to that some because... Yeah. I know it'll be an interesting thing for some of us. Yeah. Um, so, so we'll definitely dive into deeper on that. But, uh, yeah, getting it getting it correct in camera is so critical. So we've kind of beat that horse. I want to talk about color profiles in camera, mm. um, which I think is an interesting. This is some people are going to kind of see this as a contrast to uh, to what I'm saying there a little yeah. bit, but uh, there's there's different philosophies that people are going to use in post. Basically the the two main uh, ideas that people are going to say are one, I want to shoot as flat as I can, as flat as my camera will allow, which will allow me the most flexibility in post. Yeah. Um, And I completely understand that mentality. And I think it works well for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, it's not what we have chosen to do. We right. chose to instead try to get 
our profile settings to be as close to our final product as we can get it to make our workflow easier. Right. Um, so, you know, I definitely see the merits on both sides, you know, absolutely. Like there's, if you shoot in log, there's absolutely more flexibility there. Yeah. Uh, one of the things to keep in mind is if you are someone who's sort of wanting to experiment with log, but you haven't done that very often, um, you need to have some practice and something that doesn't matter to learn how to expose in log. Yeah. Because it's just different. Right. You're going to see a different looking image. Um, and you're going to think the exposure is different from it actually, what it actually is. Yeah. If you're going to shoot in log, you need to sh- like expose a full stop below what you would if you're going to bake your look a little bit more into camera. Huh. Um, which is just very difficult to do. Yeah. Particularly with, you know, most most of the cameras that our user our listeners are are using have small screens. Right. Um, and some of those are better than others. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, I hear a lot of people, you know, with like uh a lot of people, especially with like Sony cameras, are using like a uh, what do you call it, the little monitor, the I can't think of the name of it. Uh, y'all probably know what I'm talking about. This oh small HD, yeah, yeah. small HD. They're using the small HD monitor That's because right. you uh, you know it's a lot brighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bigger screen as well. Yeah, and I'm not just pointing out Sony users specifically, but I know <laughs> that uh, that's a lot more of them are using it because the monitor's not quite as good as yeah you know what some people have on like a Canon line or the Lumix line. Right. Um. So I definitely have seen just in general more people with Sony are using that setup mm-hmm. um, which comes with some other great options i know i haven't used a small hd but i know like with if you're using like an atomos you can actually at least with the gh5 and i'm not i can't speak as intelligently about some of the other systems but you can actually shoot in log but then apply a profile right onto the onto that onto the monitor right recorder so that you don't have to worry about uh, the difference in how you expose yeah you're sort of you're still shooting in the log, but you get to see what it would look like with this LUT applied. Totally. Um, so that's certainly a cool option. Great for corporate shoots. Am I going to lug a, you know, a Shogun, uh, an Atomos Shogun around to weddings? Heck no. You know. Um, so we have, part of it is just, it just makes our workflow easier, particularly because we're doing so many weddings. I mean, uh, I, I looked at our calendar the other day. We have 31 weddings left. There's like 70 days left in the year, and we have 31 weddings left to shoot. Um, so you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so when you're doing, especially when you're doing that kind of volume, it's just like anything else that adds to the workflow that makes our editors take more time. Yeah. It's just a bad decision. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, Marshall or any of our guys out there, uh, don't do a creative color pass on them. They still do. Absolutely. Yeah. But you don't want them having to do a big correction, you know, to doing a big correction or to like apply a look from scratch. True. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. Having that good contrast already in there, it just saves loads of time. Yeah. So if you can, one of the great things with pretty much any camera system to my knowledge, um, is that you can really dive in on your profile you can choose a set number of profiles that are sort of already there. You can um, go in and create a custom profile yeah. to what you like your image to look like. 
Um, but you know, for us with our, um, with our Lumix cameras, we found, we just really like the look of Cinelike V, mm-hmm. uh, V for vivid. We just really like the look of Cinelike V. It's, it's pretty dang close to the look that we want to go for in our image, which is, um, you know, more true to life, maybe a little bit more vibrant, yeah. vibrant than true to life, but otherwise, you know, skin tones look accurate to life. Um, just sort of enhanced a little bit, you know, greens, maybe a little bit greener than, than real, but not over the top. Mm. Um, definitely more high contrast, trying our best to never blow out highlights. Um, but definitely want our, our blacks to be very dark. Um, so that, that's just kind of the look that we like. And I understand that's not for everybody. It's certainly not what I would call a cinematic look like it's not like the common thing that you see in cinema by, yeah. is what i mean by that yeah uh, particularly like in dramatic cinema right, you know, right romantic dramatic cinema like that's not what you see and so i understand like the people who go more for that look that's that's cool there's so many films i've seen like that that just look awesome that yeah. blow me away that like awesome but um our client um we think really likes that more um, kind of classic, true. It will always, it will always look great. Yeah. Um, whereas I think if you go with kind of more of a particular style that's in right now, like mm. that might be great. That might help you get a lot of the clients you're looking for. It may just fit with your style and what you personally like is your, it's your own art. Um, but I think with wedding films, my sort of philosophy on why we shoot that way is that I want this to look awesome and not look like it's from 2018, yeah. 30 years from now. Right. Obviously, styles and things like that will change what people are wearing, their hairstyles, whatever. Yeah. But in terms of the quality of what we do, I don't want that to be able to be pointed back to a particular date in time where a thing was in style. There was a sort of a, uh, a vibe that was going on then. Yeah. You know, it's like, 1980 stuff like i can see i can tell like that was shot in 1980 yeah i don't want ours to ever have a look like that when it comes to wedding films because it is something that just lives forever yeah um and so for us in our work i just kind of prefer that sort of classic vibrant true to life um high contrast kind of look that we've achieved good and true colors never go out of style I don't think, you know, right. and I think finding the way you have found that, that, you know, s- that cinema look, that vibrant cinema look kind of just will maintain, you know, when they're 60 looking at the little video on whatever medium they have at this point, when they're watching their videos in, in their, their yeah, in their <laughs> eye, <laughs> they're just seeing these perfect memories flash in their <laughs> eyes and that cinema V look is just right there. It's going to be like awesome you know that's just will stand the test of time no matter what and that's just what good filmmakers want to achieve i mean sometimes you want to make things that are uh you know poppy and like of the moment but the things that i mean any of your favorite movies that kind of that you saw when you were a kid that still hold up now that's what you always want to like achieve jaws is still so great now (laughs) Uh, even though it was filmed in the seventies, you know, it's still just like so, um, visceral and tactile, Yeah, but it's, you know, he still will, Spielberg will still shoot that movie the same way. So 
I just think, you know, that type of thing is like really smart and a good way. I think everybody can should take that kind of hot tip as far as like try to make it timeless. You know, don't fall victim to trends because next year they're different. Absolutely. So sidebar, when I was (laughs) when I was in grad school, they released a um well, the the school I was at, they opened up a new like rec center. Yeah. And they had like these two big swimming pools. Yeah. And they showed they had like an all night party thing in there, right? And they showed Jaws on the big screen. Well, they had this uh the scuba dive instructor. They had him like sneak into the pool from the backside. Terrifying. And he was like swimming under there, like grabbing people's yeah, feet. That's terrifying. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, that's great. Anyways, just had to tell that story. Super good. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rad. But I wanted to go back into in camera color yeah. stuff. So, um, one of the things that I'll, I'll talk a little bit just. For some people, this will be super beginner, um, but I want to make sure that we cover this because I think it's important. So um, when it comes to white balance in camera, our our approach is that we're going to Kelvin. We're not going into the preset colors or color options like, you know, auto, cloudy, daylight, tungsten. Like we're not using those. We're going to uh, Kelvin. Right. So typically... One of the good things is you can, and this is something to practice, right? So if you walk into, walk into any room, try this for a week, you know, as you're going about your day, walk into any room that you're in when you're running your errands, whatever, and try to guess what the Kelvin would be in that room to get accurate white balance. Nerd alert. Nerd alert for sure. <laughs> but uh, doing this has helped me like to be very speedy in those moments. Like I can walk into any room and within two to 300 Kelvin, yep. like I can tell you what the Kelvin's going to be beforehand. Yep. Um, and a good starting place is if you're outside on a sunny day, it's probably about 3,200 Kelvin, mm-hmm. you know? Um, sorry, it's 5,800 Kelvin outside on a sunny day. Um, right. You know, if it's a little cloudier, it might be 6,000. Right. Um, if you're inside and they have those warm lights that we're used to, the very orangey lights, it's you know, probably pretty close to 3,000, 3,200, depending on how orange they are. It could be lower than that if you yeah. have really orange ones. Um. And sometimes you're in a situation with mixed lighting, yeah. uh, like the room that we're sitting in now that we've got these windows open, but I also have a lamp sitting right by you yeah. um, that's putting off 3,200 Kelvin light, plus the very cloudy day that's sitting 6,000 Kelvin light in. So just sort of being aware in any room that you go in, when you walk in, you ought to be able to know instinctively after practicing this for a while, pretty close to where you need to be. So you yep. can get kind of a, a good starting point from there. And then, again, just dial it in, try to make your white look white. Yep. The tricky part comes when you're in a room, maybe they've got that nasty fluorescent lighting, it's sending like a green hue out. Yeah. Uh, you can't do that strictly on the Kelvin scale. Right. Because um, the Kelvin adjusts from blue to orange. Um, so, you know, on the green to magenta uh, sort of scale we can't adjust that with our Kelvin. Mm -hmm. So, and again, I'm sorry, I can only speak to Lumix on this one, but I feel fairly confident that the other camera systems would have something like this. Surely they do. Um, But when you're, at least with Lumix, when you're into your Kelvin settings, if you press the down arrow instead of up, you're going to bring up a new menu option that's going to have a big square on it 
um, that separated into four quadrants. Um, so from there, you can move the dot to any point on the scale um, in any direction. So we'll try to get our Kelvin uh, pretty close to where we think it should be first, which is admittedly difficult when there's green in the room. It's yeah. So we're going to mostly go off of intuition, right? We go into a room, we think, okay, the lights are this color. I think it's going to be pretty close to this. So get fairly close. And then we see how green it still looks. Then we can go into um, to that grid with the with the four quadrants and start to move our dot. You know, if it's green, then we're going to move our dot down and to the left, mm. um, which is going to be more into the magenta square. So it's taking the top right, which would be green, the top, oh, sorry, the bottom left, which would be magenta. And we're going to start moving our dot away from green and more into magenta. So I'm going to yeah. go more into that bottom left corner. And so I'm basically just subtracting the green mm-hmm. out of the shot. Oh, okay. The further that I go down and away from green, the more green I'm pulling out of the image. I'm literally learning something right now. <laughs> I, know, I do this technique, but I've never like kind of reverse engineered it. I've just like w- looked at my monitor and kind of like always thought of it more as that I'm coloring it. But that makes so much sense is that where you're moving the dot away from is what's actually being pulled out of the image, which I never even made that connection. But you have to do these types of things because in these trickier rooms, there's so many different light sources or the light is super old. You have to suck that type of that nasty thing out of it. So it kind of comes up. uh, So it does come correct, you know. Right. But I never realized what that actually does. I hope a lot of the camera systems have that. You I, again, I hope so. I don't know that. Yeah. I feel like it's such a basic sort of function. Yeah. Any of them should do it, whether or not they do, I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, you already knew this technique. Again, right. it's just sort of putting putting language to it. But I think that's that's important. That's helpful that we sort of understand the why of why we're doing anything, totally. not just the how, because it certainly opens up new thoughts, new ideas about how we can accomplish things if we understand the why. So um in the same way that you would do this in posts, if you're seeing green, you try to pull out the green. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you try to make that slider go over more towards magenta. But it just doesn't work as good in post. Yeah. It works so much better when you can get it accurately in camera than doing that in post. And green, again, that's one of those hard things to pull out, particularly with skin tones. And I see this, you know... Uh, Everybody sort of has their thing about, you know, I prefer this, this, I prefer Canon color looks, I prefer Sony color looks, you know, Lumix camera color looks. Um, uh, I think across the board, you know, I just see that uh, there's a lot of green, yeah, a lot of green skin tones out there in final products, yeah, you know, which I think can be fixed in camera. Assuming you know these things, you know, particularly if you know that your camera system leans into having a greener look. Yeah. That's just sort of the natural look. Well, try to adjust that in camera a little bit, Mm. you know, Um, and I don't know how easy that is if you're using a Sony or Canon or whatever, but um, sometimes it seems like people that say like they prefer a certain look is just like uh, another way of saying this is the way I do it with the least amount of work. You know, yeah. the least amount of post-production because yeah. you kind of like already get it in your camera. I like it like this. And then I get to have fun and do something, you know, cool and like, you know, milky up my blacks a little bit later and do the like the fun part, you know. Right. 
whatever can get you closer to that final product is what you should be doing. Absolutely. In camera. I mean, and, and that might be a little, that might sound like I'm going against what we said earlier about, you know, always get your image correct, but you know, as close to correct with your sort of vibrancy and everything that you, that you want in that final thing. Yeah. I think there's a difference in correctness and then the look that we're going for, you know, like, like I said, we use center like V, which is slightly more vivid Mm -hmm. than real life, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's just kind of the way we prefer it, but it's not, it's not adjusting necessarily the, the hue of anything. Right. Um, because again, we want that more accurate hue. Um, but then it just does boost saturation a little bit, which we, again, we just like that look of that just slightly, um, you know, more saturated than real life. And that's just our look. But yeah, if you preferred kind of a more matte look, you can dial that in, yeah. in your camera profile. You can change your saturation slider. Yeah. You can change your contrast slider. That was always my favorite part, I think, when I first got into digital photography and videography was playing with those types of things. I mean, that's something so new, you know, like right. coming up with your own profiles that like only you have. Mm. I mean, someone can kind of can copy that type of thing, but it's so fun to like go out and just kind of shoot around and just find whatever, you know, play with those different sliders and like literally come up with your own custom profile that nobody else has. And then when you, you know, you take it in and start doing posts and start doing editing, it's, you know, you're already halfway there. And then you can add a little, you know, tinge of something else, a little tinge of something else. And then you have like an image that it's hard for other people to copy, you know, finding your look can, that doesn't, uh, you know, hurt your, your, uh, exposure triangle is like a good way to kind of go about how you make your images. Absolutely. It's always a fun part. Yeah. Speaking of that, I'm excited for next week. We're going to bring Julio in. Yeah. And that's fun because I appreciate his take on things. Oh yeah. Because he, he comes from more like the photo side. Yeah. And uh, photographers in general, I think are, I don't even know if this is fair to say or not, but, in the experience that I've seen of, you know, the people who are, you know, above average photographers versus above average filmmakers, I think they're working more on color than mm. we are. Yeah. Um, because we're, we have so many other things to focus on, right? Yeah. Is the audio good? How's our storytelling? Like yeah. we have so much more to think about. I mean, they pretty much just have color to think about when it comes to posts, you yeah. know, calling, yeah. uh, calling through the photos and color. Yeah. That's, That's a good primary way. thing. You good know? point. Um, and so they spend more time on that likely than we do. Um, some of them, uh, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not saying any blanket statements across the board because some, some of y'all just be doing LUTs. <laughs> some of y'all yeah. throw some profile on it for sure. For sure. And, and others are diving deep into this and yeah. it matters deeply to them. And they spend way more time on that than photographers totally. do. Um, but as a general rule, you know, it, it's something that they invest more into just because it's like, it's kind of the only thing for them, you know, whereas we have so many other plates that we're spinning. Um, so, but I appreciate his perspective on it because he comes to color grading and, um, you know, he, he approaches being a colorist from the perspective of a photographer. And when I first hired him to do a film for me and I was just sort of like watching yeah. over his shoulder, I was just floored. 
I was just like, holy crap, I would have never in a million years thought to do that. Yep. Even having been a photographer myself, you know, having used a lot of those same principles from my still photography, I I, I just never thought about doing it yeah. with film. And so I just, I'm excited for that conversation too, because it can sort of digs deeper on a, another level that most people are not even thinking about. Yeah. You know? Julio's a wizard. He is. I mean, straight up, you could just, it's like watching a street magician do magic. Yep. You know, you could just sit behind him and watch him just like play with <laughs> stuff. I mean, he thinks of it all, you know, photographer. I mean, he, he, he was talking to me about it. He was like, you have to study a little color theory. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> dude, you're like a, like an old Renaissance oil painter, you know, <laughs> just like thinking about things in layers and it's like, well, you want to start here. And then he's like the Bob Ross or something of like, <laughs> you know, colorists. It's pretty interesting. Absolutely. So fun side note for you yeah. Nick, and the rest of our editing team, I'm actually going to bring him in to do some more in-depth training dude. with us on color. So we actually yes. chatted about that earlier today, but, um, but anyways, yeah, so stay tuned for next week because that's going to be awesome. Um, you guys are going to get to hear a lot more from him. And like I said, I value his opinion on this stuff enough that I am hiring him to come and do some more in-depth training with my whole editing team. So um, that's how much I respect his position on all this. So we're definitely going to get more technical next week on some of the yeah. post-processing stuff. Totally. Where this week is definitely more about in camera, yeah, which I think is so important as a foundation for everything else that we're going to talk about in this series. So, Nick, one of the interesting things about you know sort of the dynamic of our team is my eye on color, yeah, because I'm not doing hardly any editing myself anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, my editing is more like coming in and giving feedback, yeah. and you know, maybe I steal your chair for. Uh, for 30 seconds yeah. to try to because i can communicate better by just doing it right. rather than telling you totally. from time to time but um probably one of the bigger feedbacks that i'm giving to you guys is just about about color yeah um maybe talk about sort of your experience in working with a team in regards to to color and what you're doing because um yeah, maybe let's start from sort of the beginning once you've got the footage done. At what point are you starting to work on color and what does that process look like for you? Yeah, um, I think the when when I have, I don't, I try not to touch color at all until we have like a picture lock where all the editing's done. I have content kind of approved by you i've got everybody kind of on board you know I'm, I'm constantly checking with our other two editors about what they think of something i don't really want to start playing with that uh till i know that all my other stuff's really correct because if you cut something out uh you might have wasted time or uh, on on color correcting something that you ended up taking out anyway right so you want to get kind of f the farthest you can to the very end i might like play with a look or something like on a certain shot that I like and be like, Ooh, this is a good play space to, you know, throw some color boards on and maybe see what a LUT looks like and kind of play with that. Just if, you know, I'm want to feel inspired, but you want to get the farthest along as you can, uh, to basically everyone's like, this looks good. Your editing is great. The music's great. Uh, just before you send it off for sound. And then that's where you're like, okay, let's start playing with color. 
And then from there, it's like more or less a, a correction pass, you know, kind of going through and getting everything even and equal uh, from shot to shot, from cut to cut. You know, you don't want something, you know, kind of bright clashing with something that goes to something darker. So you're either kind of mo- you might switch something around or you might play with those levels to try to get the, the exposure as even as you possibly can. And, you know, you go through that. That can be pretty time consuming um, depending on where you shot. If you're shooting outside versus you're shooting inside, if there's some, if there's a lot of location changes, stuff like that. This is strictly I'm coming from a corporate video shoot, mainly from right. shooting, editing for Mavericks. Um, so getting that correct. Once I feel like that's correct, uh, we might bring Jordan in again to watch it and see what he thinks kind of like overall. And, and then we're starting to talk more about creatively about what do you think of something like this? I might have a shot where I experimented and I might show him that and might be getting some eyes on that at that point. Uh, from then, he might be like, oh, yeah, move move along with that. Go with that. That's a good look. And then we're going to you know, do a creative pass where we're throwing on some LUTs. We're playing with some a little more levels and contrasts and things like that. Try, trying to maintain a look of evenness throughout the entire thing. I don't want big jumps from things to things. I, I like everything to be real even from scene to scene. So that's what I try to go for. And then it's uh, watching it on a phone or it's watching it on the big Samsung in the office. Uh, it's letting everybody watch it to see the differences from people to pe- from everybody in the office about like, what do you think this looks like? You know? Yeah. And usually that's, that's not like a huge thing where we're like playing a lot of things. Jordan will jump, jump in the pilot's chair and like play with some, some sliders and try to be like, I think I like this a little bit more. And it's like, yeah, you're right. That looks good. And then we'll go from there. Um, kind of having multiple fields of eyes, really important, really important as far as like, I mean, we get to work in a team. So that's one thing. There's a lot of solo shooters and people running their own business. It's harder for them. But if, if you are, let's say, you know, um, in, uh, there is some actual science behind like on the average i think because uh your your ability to measure color is is based on like the cones in your in your eye there's some crazy there's some crazy science there's stuff cones in your eyes yeah there's some crazy science stuff. i think there's bugles. Really like uh <laughs> i think praying mantises have the best have like the most cones in their eyes so they can like see colors that we can't even see some crazy stuff like that right but i think like scientifically on the average and every person is different yeah right um so this is not true across the board but on the average women have more ability to see color uh than the average male and again that's not always true across the board but that is um kind of a more general rule you have some mansplainer out there being like well you know that's we also bring in the money (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so the reason I mentioned this though, is because we're definitely like, there's more men in this industry than there are women, Yeah, which is probably why I see like a lot of bad color out there, (laughs) you know, potentially. (laughs) Um, but let's say you have a, you know, a female spouse, a girlfriend, just a friend, someone who could take a look at it. If you are a solo shooter or solopreneur, 
um, you know, send it off to your mom, you yeah, know, totally. uh, well, your mom might not be able to say anything, but oh, yeah. that looks amazing. I'm Johnny proud you're doing something with your life. <laughs> you're not living in my basement anymore. Yeah, so that looks great. <laughs> Keep doing that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, try to find if, if you're not working on a team, like have somebody else look at it because we can certainly get blinded by things, yeah. you know? We are, as passionate filmmakers, things sort of become our baby. Yeah. And um, I think it's so important that we are able to take, uh, take you know, constructive criticism and run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but actively seeking that out and then being receptive to it. Yeah. I think is super important to progressing in our field. We always want to be progressing. Yeah. I think... And I think that's true across the board. I think anybody would say, I always want to be getting better. Yeah. At the same time, I think the amount of people who also would say, yeah, I want to be getting better, but I'm not really going to listen to that feedback. They're not going to say that, but they just won't, you know, somebody gives them the feedback and it's just hurtful. And, you know, I've been certainly guilty of that in my own life. Guilty. No doubt. Um, And that's just part of being a creative, I think. But I think we have to open ourselves up to that sort of constructive feedback if we want to get better. Let's actually hear what other people have to say about it. Yeah. I know there's people in the community, in the Wedding Film Academy community, they'd be happy to do that. In fact, we have a separate group um, that's just for critiquing. So join the Wedding Film Academy um, uh, film critique group, I think is what it's called, something like that. It's a, it's a linked group. So if you go to Wedding Film Academy group, You'll see that there's a linked group to a different page where you can post stuff, uh, videos that you want to be critiqued. We kind of wanted that to be on a separate page so it didn't sort of muddy the waters and create extra whatever. Yeah. <laughs> extra bad vibes yeah, or anything exactly. that could be out there. It's part of, I think, how we've kept really good vibes going on in yeah. our group. Um, but definitely like post it there. You know, reach out to other filmmakers who you respect in the community. You know, private message. I'm sure that there's so many people who'd love to be helpful out there. I'm not telling you to send them to me, by the way. <laughs> and I, I'm busy. I would, I would I would help people out, but uh, we're doing a whole lot of stuff right now. We got a lot of plates in the air, um, so I might not be the best person to ask for that yeah. at the moment. Um, but um, yeah, I think just getting getting other eyes on it is incredibly helpful. You know what I noticed too is something like I'll do a creative pass and then. I'll be like really excited about it and look at it and like, this is great. And then the next day and then I'll leave it. And then I leave for the day and you go home and you drink water, you have a beer, you have your dinner, you go for a jog, you go to sleep, you come back and it is not the thing that you finished the day before. Yeah. That's kind of a a wild sort of, I I don't know, phenomenon, you know, like, I don't know really, there's probably some science to that too. And I'm not saying that means anything per se, but again, I think it's just staying true to like kind of don't go crazy on saturations. Don't go crazy on certain things like mm, moderation, keep, moderation. Like the the color is all about light, light turns, light slides. It's never a lot of anything. Yeah. And I was thinking, too, um, color is like one of those things that you're uh, you can't unsee once you learn it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of once you learn color, you you start seeing it everywhere in finished products, Netflix, Amazon, uh, movies in general. Uh, 
Yeah. I think you it's one of those things will kind of end up ruining a movie for you that you might have liked, but the color is so noticeable that you're just like pulled out of it completely. I, I think of Ghostbusters 2. Uh, as much as I love Ghostbusters, the, the, the sequel to that, they just went insane on it. It was just something I couldn't couldn't connect with at all. It was just too much. And, uh, you know, the same thing goes with, like, Netflix movies. I've noticed that Netflix movies kind of have this kind of odd color to them. Not all of them, per se, but they they kind of, they don't have a, they just have something kind of poppy to them that I can't, takes me out of it when I watch it. Not all of them, I love, you know, there's some great content, but color is one of those things. Once you, once you learn it, it's kind of a bummer because, you know, ignorance is bliss and you <laughs> might have not have seen it before. So it's a wild sort of trip. Yeah. That'd be interesting, actually, to like, because you, like you said, um, ignorance is bliss. And maybe a lot of people, if you're getting feedback from people outside of the film yeah. community, like you might have more trouble, which I said, maybe your mom's not the best uh, best barometer there, yeah. right? But maybe you have like a photographer friend that you've connected with yeah. at some weddings that you'd like to build a further relationship with. Send it to them and say, hey, I'm specifically looking at color here. Tell me what you think about this, what I could improve on when it comes to color, because I love the look that you've achieved in your photography. I respect your opinion. Boy, what a great way to get referrals. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but also to have, you know, sort of a, a, um, an honest feedback from a talented person when it comes to, to color, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's someone who you genuinely respect their opinion on that, um, because they're someone who, instinctively sees that stuff as well yep so big time word well this has been good chat nick it's yeah, a good one no doubt uh, i'm excited for uh for our listeners as they dive in deep into this especially those who this has been sort of new new material new ground because it's not something that's really covered a lot in our industry it's not something a lot of people talk about a lot of people sell luts yeah um but they're sort of in in my uh maybe maybe crass view it seems like uh it's sort of sold as like a band-aid yeah big time you know like uh yeah buy my lut and that'll fix all your color problems yeah peter mckinnon we like you and everything i'm (laughs) sure there's like a cool thing but uh you can't make a bad image look better yeah and that's not saying anything bad like some of these i see lots for sale that look awesome yeah they're sweet you know uh that look amazing and like deserve to be bought because they look great um, but at the same time, like if you don't have the fundamentals that we've laid the groundwork for here in this podcast, the LUTs are not going to help you, nope. you know, they're going to create, they're going to create a look, you know, um, but you're, you're still not getting the accuracy and you're going to lose a lot of data when you start to, to push the color. That's one of the things that we sort of hinted at, but I didn't say specifically like the reason for this is because you lose so much information as you're moving those sliders around, and that's why you have to get it so close to accurate. Um, if you had a camera that shot 444, then, yeah, you'd be able to do a whole lot more with that. Mm-hmm. But as it is, most of your cameras um, do not do that, and so you're going to lose a lot of information. And, um, you know, even more so when you're using, you know, some of like the Canon DSLRs, some of the Sony cameras that don't have the ability to shoot 422 like Lumix does where we have more flexibility in post because of that. Mm. Not as much as if we had four, 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 but mm. we still have more. Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of one of those things where, um, 
that that's kind of the reasoning behind it technically of why you have to get it right in post so much more or sorry right in camera so much more so than photographers who can just shoot raw and then they have sort of you know 16 bit endless information that we're just you know probably a decade away from in video so everywhere and i will say um we did a great video on wedding film academy youtube channel a couple months back uh called i think it was called why your footage sucks or something like that yeah uh but it was all about uh getting white balance correct and obviously white balance pertains to color so Jordan and our uh, lovely model associate producer, Sarah, totally dig into that. And they, you know, basically come at it like you're in a bride suite where that's usually you'll have a lot of conflicting colors about turning lights on, moving stuff around, uh, closing blinds, opening blinds, getting the colors even as you can to kind of get that correct. Great examples in it. Uh, Also, like one of our most popular ones, I think it. And the fact that it was most popular, it was also because I think a lot of people are curious about getting white balance correct. Yeah, I think uh, it's just across the board. It's not something that is talked about very often. There's so many other sexier things to talk about other than color, you know, the gear and, um, you know, whatever else yeah. um, seems, you know, just sort of untouched for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, but it's probably the number one thing that people notice if it's done poorly. Yep. So. Super important. Hope this has been informative to you uh, and definitely look forward to the next, the rest of the series because we're going to be talking with some pretty spectacular colorists who are going to dive deeper into the post-processing workflow and some of the, some of the tools that you have access to that you probably didn't know about or you knew about them, but you didn't know exactly how they worked. Um, And so we're going to dive deep into helping you understand that to be able to work better with your footage in post. So thanks for tuning again. Thanks for tuning in uh, for another week of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. If you found this helpful, it would be a great deal of service to us to share this with your friends, with your networks, on the forums, on Facebook, or wherever else you spend your time to let people know that you find this helpful. Um, We are trying to grow our audience here on Patreon. We're so grateful to you who have subscribed here. And so please share that with other people. We, we do need to grow our subscriber base in order to, you know, be able to, to, to continue what we're doing here. We know this is a, a new effort and something that we're, um, you know, certainly having uh, some success in and growing our Patreon audience. Um, but, you know, again, in order to keep this um, a, a valuable service to everyone that's part of the community, we do need to make ends meet with it and make it financially viable. So definitely, please, uh, it would be a great deal of help if you just shared, let people know that you found this information valuable. I would greatly appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Thanks again for subscribing and we'll see you next week. Ah. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe on Patreon so you never miss a show. And when you're done, head on over to the Wedding Film Academy Facebook group to chat with other wedding filmmakers like yourself. Until next time, keep making movie magic.